I'm going to read you three statements about some of the sites here in Washington, D.C., and it's going to be up to you to determine which of the statements are true and which one is false. Are you ready? Here we go, Kelsey. Josh, I'm going to beat you. Okay. We're working together. Oh, let's, let's get this right together, Josh. Hi. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode seven of Travel Unpacked, a podcast brought to you by Colette where we unpack all the interesting, fun, and curious aspects of the travel industry. And today we have a very special guest with us who's going to be talking to us soon about tour managing and all things Washington, D.C. I'm really excited to have him on. What about you, Kelsey? I am too. I actually had gone to D.C. with Wesley a hundred years ago. I think it may have just been five years ago. Feels like a hundred, but I actually did this trip with Wesley. So I'm really excited to dive in and hear all about the tiny little things that he loves about it. I love it too. I love DC. Had the opportunity to go many years ago on my own. So I'm excited to kind of relive that. But before we jump in, have you been doing anything recently that's been fun and exciting? Well, remember last time I told you that I was going to go to Maine to find a moose? Well, I locked that down this weekend. I found a place to stay. I found a cute little cabin in the woods and I found a moose safari guide who's going to take me on a five-hour trip to go looking for a moose. I yeah. check the weather and that's when they come out. There's actually a moose safari guide. Like moose that's a real thing. In a Jeep, he's going to take us for five hours and we're going to find a moose. If I don't find a moose, I'm going to be beside myself. I feel like I want to come along on that adventure. I can't believe that there's actually a guide who will bring you around in a Jeep to find moose. When are you going? Columbus Day weekend. Columbus Day weekend. All right. Well, I wish you all the best on that. I'll send you a link. You and your husband can join. I I, will. will. (laughs) Anyways, let's get started with our podcast in Washington, D.C. I am so excited to bring on Wesley Glass, who has been a tour manager with us since, I want to say, 2015. He has been living in Washington, D.C. since 2012 and working with Colette for quite some time. He guides Washington, D.C., of course, but he goes all over the world. He's done Spain. He's done Quebec City. He's done New Orleans. He is a wealth of information and actually a a close personal friend of mine. So I am so excited to have him here. Wesley, hey. Hello, Kelsey. What's going on? How are you? How's your summer been? It's been good. I just got back from two weeks of vacation with my family. They had never been to Europe. So we went to England for two weeks. My dad's a big Beatles fan and, and a tribute Beatles band. So Liverpool has been on his bucket list for a long time. Did you guys go across the street and do that picture? Uh, so that's in London, but yes, we did go to Abbey Road uh, for him to get that picture walking across the street. Uh, that was the first thing we did when they landed. That was a highlight, must-see experience. Great job, Wes. Who, now, who planned that? Uh, I did. Like, I who, put it all Yes, then made sure we did of everything course, we were yeah. supposed to every day and... <laughs> Tried to make sure there was a good balance of free time and structured time. So you were you were a tour manager for your family too, just like you are for Colette. Indeed. So it was still relaxing and fun at times, but also there was a lot of work uh, skills being used on vacation. Good. I, I love that. that. So you've been tour guiding, I think Kelsey said since 2015. Is that when you really started? Uh, no, I actually Colette? started with Colette in 2013 as an independent contractor, and then I became full-time in 2016. Kelsey, have you ever tour guided before? I've done an Iceland tour to 
back in the day before we only had regional tour managers guide our tours. So now when you go to a destination, you're only going to have somebody who lives in the destination, speaks the language, and is very familiar with it. Back in the day, I, I did do an Iceland itinerary. I did that too in New York City. And I can say, Wesley, all the props to you because it is so much work that goes into being a tour manager that people don't even realize. Like the late nights, you're always up, you're always on. And it's a lot. So that's amazing that you have been doing that for almost a, oh, over a decade. Yeah. Hats off to you. So tell us about DC. Have you been guiding a lot of DC? Do you mix it up with other stuff? Is it absolutely your favorite tour? So I moved here to guide in 2012 and started guiding in 2013. And I just fell in love with the city very quickly. I initially started doing eighth grade class trips. And that's why I moved here because that's what the bulk of American tourism is if you're trying to work yeah. in the industry and then thankfully was able to transition to working with adults so that I get a little more variety and it's not DC all the time. So you tour guide with our spotlight on Washington DC tour, which for those that are listening, you know, spotlights gives you the opportunity to just stay in one hotel, one destination and really kind of do a hub and spoke out from there. And that's what I love about DC because you can't just go to DC for a day or two. There is so much to see, so much to do. And I think even if you were there for an entire month, you still wouldn't see everything. Yeah, and that's what the other itineraries we've had in the past only do two or so nights in DC, and it really just isn't enough time to see everything that you want. Because a lot of people don't realize, I mean, even just they hear the Smithsonian and they want to go to the Smithsonian Museum and they don't realize that it's more than 15 museums within the city. So you really can't just go to one and have seen it all. So to only have one afternoon there when here on the Spotlight Tour, we get a whole morning and afternoon to spend at the Sodium. That gives you a lot more time to enjoy and really be able to check everything off. So if you weren't able to come back to DC, you would feel like you got a good full experience. And what's great about that is you're not locked into just one museum. You get to go tour one and then you get to go into another one because they're all on the same corridor, right? Yeah, yeah. A bunch of them are on the National Mall. So when we have that time on tour, what tour managers will do, we have maps printed out that have them all on there. We talk about the highlights of each museum. And then you really are just able to customize how you want to spend that day. So if you are a in-depth museum person and you just do one museum in that time, then that's up to your speed. But if you're somebody who can breeze through quickly, see the highlights and move on to something else, then you can go to a, a lot more museums in one time. It really allows you to be flexible with what you want to do and what your interests are. That would be me. I love to just go in and see everything and then go to the next one, see everything. I'm not a reader. My husband's a reader, but I'm not. <laughs> Wes, what's your favorite museum? My favorite Smithsonian is one that's not on the National Mall. It's two museums in one. It's the National Portrait Gallery and Museum of American Art. It's in Chinatown. And it's in the old Patent Office building. It's one of the oldest buildings in the city. And in there is the official collection of presidential portraits. So after someone finishes their term as president, they get a portrait put in there. So from Washington all the way up to Trump, there is a portrait of every single American president painted at the time they were alive. So just a really cool historic exhibit and a historic building. And then the American art side of it often has a lot of interesting modern things that you wouldn't see anywhere else, including this really cool floor-to-ceiling neon map of the United States that I really love called Electronic Superhighway by a Korean-American artist named Naim Joon Pak. So it's a great museum to get some of the traditional art that you would think of, but then also some newer things that you might not have 
considered being out there. Kelsey, you need to add that to your bucket list. I already marked up. <laughs> Been his favorite for years, actually. <laughs> One thing I noticed you had you had talked about during your free time, besides getting a chance to enjoy all these museums. I know one thing you're passionate about is the neighborhoods and really kind of understanding what it's like to actually live in DC. So I think people don't realize that they think DC is just politicians and that's it, but there's actually life that, you know, people live there and the homes and families and there's so many different neighborhoods. Yeah. And that's something when I guide the tour, I'm really passionate about is presenting it from the point of view of a resident of the district of Columbia. Unlike other cities in the U.S., I think it's one you can very easily come to and not get a sense of what it's like to live in it if you just spend all of your time on the National Mall. So I love that for the last many years, our hotel's been in and around the DuPont Circle neighborhood, so people are really getting a glimpse of what a Washingtonian lifestyle is like. So I always try to encourage our guests to go even further than that and visit some of the other neighborhoods. That's also where you're finding some of the best food. So it's definitely worth getting out into some of the other neighborhoods to experience that while you're here. So speaking of food, what's your favorite place to eat when you're in D.C.? Or where do you like to send people? Yeah, so that's always such an interesting question because, of course, I need to know like what people are interested in. If it's a tourist visiting and they're staying downtown, then Old Epic Grill has been one of the mainstays of tourist dining in D.C. And locals alike it's a fancy place to go it's right by the white house one of the oldest restaurants in the city that specializes in mid-atlantic cuisine so that's what a lot of people assume the food of dc is since we're here with maryland and virginia on either side but it's really mostly the food of coastal maryland and virginia so crab cakes and things like that they have a great oyster bar so that's where i send a lot of our guests when they come to visit but they're looking to get a little bit outside of that, DC has a great Ethiopian food scene. So I had not had Ethiopian food before I moved here, and now it's one of my favorite types of cuisines. And Dukum on U Street is probably the most well-known of those restaurants. That is one, yeah, that is one I have not had yet, Ethiopian. So when I come to DC, I'll definitely hit that up. Another thing I've always wanted to do, I just want to know if you have you done it. Had you gone to the Kennedy Center? I am such a big Broadway fan. I love Broadway. I know there's a big live theater in D.C. itself, and the Kennedy Center always produces a lot of great shows. Yeah, D.C. is actually the third largest theater market in the United States, which a lot of people don't realize. There's a lot of great live theater to be seen here. Kennedy Center is definitely bringing things in from all over. I recently saw a magic show called The Enigmatist there in one of their smaller theater spaces. They have five theater spaces, I believe, and do about 2,000 unique performances a year, including three performances on their wow. Millennium stages. So there's a lot of great stuff there, but then DC has a great local theater scene. Uh, a lot of shows will do their out-of-town tryouts here in DC before going to New York. Dear Evan Hansen started here in DC. Mean Girls started here in DC. So it's also a great opportunity to check something out before it makes the leap to Broadway. You get to uh, see it before it's cool. Yes, but then you also go and see it and they change a bunch of things. That's so funny. So tell us more about just you as a tour manager. What's a day in a tour manager look like? So on tour, it's very varied because as Josh alluded to earlier, you're kind of on call always. You just have to be ready for that. But for me, I prioritize sleep. So I try to make sure I get as much sleep as possible and just do like a quick breakfast. And some of these days we have dinners included. So you're outside seeing all day, come back, maybe have an hour or so at the hotel. And then that's your time to help 
answer questions about free time the next day if people are supposed to be booking things, catching up on any emails or financial paperwork. You're still very actively working on making sure the tour is running smoothly from start to finish. And you are honestly one of our top tour managers oh. <laughs> and I think you do a fantastic job. I know we've seen you all around. You've written a lot of blogs for us, done a lot of interviews for us, and it's just always so great. Besides DC though, what other regions have you traveled to? Do you love to tour guide? I think you had mentioned Hawaii was another one that you really do a lot of. Uh, yeah, I've started doing Hawaii in the last couple of years. I've enjoyed going down there, of course, now with the awful fires in Maui. I'm just about to have my first tour back there, obviously skipping that island. So that was very devastating to see because that is the region near where our hotel is that we stay in when we're on that island. So it will definitely be tough to see what's going on with the people that live there and how they are able to recover from this. I know Colette has, through our charitable arm, reached out to start raising money to help with that. And that's what I have loved about working with this company is we don't just send people places. We make sure that we're helping take care of the places that we are sending our group. So I was very happy to see that Colette was doing something to help aid Maui. But outside of Hawaii, I don't guide there anymore, but for a long time, Spain was in my rotation and I studied Spanish history, language, and culture in college. Getting to take our guests there was one of my favorite things to do. And then originally I'm from the Southeast, so I love doing America's Music City, Southern Charm. These are a lot of the cities I went to growing up, so I really feel at home sharing these cities with people because it does root so much into my upbringing and culture. So outside of DC, that's the place I feel most at home. But I've done pretty much everything in the US except Alaska National Park. Well-traveled and well-versed. I love when I go on our tours, one of my favorite things is seeing people see things for the first time. And I think that's what you were talking about with Spain. So can you tell us about some moments that you've had over the years with specific travelers of just like aha moments or just things that just made you smile in general? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that makes the job worth doing. The people on the tour that make each one different and getting to introduce them to these things is what keeps it new and fresh. But say taking someone to the Vietnam Wall, for example, here in D.C., because we do end up getting a lot of Vietnam War vets on our tours, and a lot of them have not been to the wall before. So it'd be an easy thing. For me, I've seen it a hundred plus times in my life, but each time is special because I know there's someone there that has a connection to it. And so being able to be the person that facilitates this potential reason they're on the trip item for somebody is really meaningful. And then taking somebody somewhere that they had no idea of what it was going to be like here in DC, I'd say that's probably going inside the Library of Congress, one of the most beautiful buildings in the city. And that's not really something a lot of people are expecting to be something that they really enjoyed. And then they go in and are just stunned at a very European style elegance inside of a building in the United States. I feel like it must be really powerful when you're in DC and you are bringing somebody to the Vietnam Memorial or you're going to the Arlington Cemetery that it must, you know, when you have people there, it really must bring a lot of emotion to them too. Yeah, for sure. So I've had people that look up names on the wall of people that they lost and being able to help them find them because they're oriented on there by year of death as opposed to being alphabetical order. So if you don't know how to look them up, it can be frustrating trying to find a name. So being able to help someone find that name quickly and get the volunteers there to help them do a rubbing of the name on a piece of paper so they have something to take home. 
Uh, and then also just seeing all the people that bring and leave letters and things there, it's always a very emotional moment. And I've definitely also had guests on uh, tour that want to visit grave sites at Arlington as family members and will go and leave the group for a bit to be able to do that. And since I know that the cemetery will drive you there for free, I'm able to help them get to what they want to see and still have as much time as possible to experience the whole tour. So not missing as much as they would. They're able to do what they want, but also still hit the highlights of the cemetery while we're there. And I think that that right there is kind of the point that we always talk about guided travel is, you know, doing guided versus doing it on your own. And when you do guided, as you just said, you know all these things, like you understand how the Vietnam Memorial is set up. You understand, as you just said, in Arlington, you can get the ride to the gravesite. So I think, you know, in your eyes, why is guided travel really the way to go? Like, why should people do guided travel? Yeah, so I think the big plus of guided for me is it takes away all the headache of logistics. And when you travel guided, especially with Colette, I think we do a really good job of prioritizing what the must-sees are. And not only that, but making sure you have the accurate amount of time at them. So I think it provides the best way to have a stress-free trip and just get to enjoy because you're not having to be in all those details. It's the people designing it and putting it together in the office and then your tour manager that are worrying about those things for you. And after having just done a two-week vacation with my family that I fully planned myself, I wish I had not had to do that. It'd been nice to just sit on a bus and let someone else take care of that. And not even just prior to your tour, while you're there too. So, you know, travelers, you go on tour, you have your tour manager who's leading you around, who's showing you some secret things you might not have thought of to go to, like the Library of Congress. But Things happen, you know, the government might have shut down, you couldn't go to a monument or the restaurant that we were supposed to go to tomorrow, they just are unable to take our reservation or they flooded. We have an entire team. We have over 80 people inside the office that the tour manager has the ability to work with and talk to. That's actually what I do here at Colette is I help manage tours that are on the road. So Wesley, can you talk a little bit about the different people that you might reach out to throughout the day or throughout the week that might help you out. Yeah. So if there's something that I can't solve on my own or would require a larger purchase and I'm comfortable with making without somebody approving it, then there's a great emergency line to call into that will connect us to the person in the right department to be able to help us with it. Most of the time that's going to be our product manager because they are the one that is overseeing the tour as it is running. They're the first person to reach out to in order to get some resolution. And that's one of the things that'll help if an emergency is a larger thing than I can handle in just a moment, then I'm not having to focus on it. Uh, it's nice to know that there's a support net in the office that I can hand something off to and they will figure out what needs to be done and can communicate that to me while I'm still able to be with the guest. Yeah, I know earlier this year when DC was experiencing all of the the smoke from the Canadian fires, I know there was a big hands-on project where we moved a lot of the touring around so that we could maintain touring inside for our travelers and they weren't outside experiencing all that smoke. I think you were supposed to do all the memorials that day, right? And then you ended up going into museums? Uh, so it was arrival day was the bad day. But then thankfully, the tour was set up where all of our inside stuff was on smoke day. But if it had been worse, yeah then we had the flexibility to move it around. So we had a plan of what to do if the smoke had not dissipated like it did. Yeah, my point was that when you're on tour, 
instead of having to worry about how you're going to fix tomorrow because something might not be able to go the way you want it to, you have somebody on the back end helping you out and changing out your ticket if need be so that you have a smooth Yeah. So it's never just us. We're the only face that a lot of people end up seeing, but there are so many more people that are a part of making sure that every tour is first set up successfully, but then also run successfully while on the road. Uh, So I am always grateful for the in-house people that are part of that team and able to help us out in those moments. So to, to help out our travelers even more, you have been on the road, obviously, for a decade now. There must be things that you have learned in terms of you know, packing, clothing, must-haves, electronics. Like, Is there anything you can share that you think everybody should always have with them when they are traveling? Yeah, so I would say electronics-wise, making sure you have backup chargers for things. That's one of the most expensive things you can purchase in a new place. I always try and make sure I have multiple chargers. I also, once I pack, I go through and rethink about all the clothes to make sure I actually need them. Because over the years, I noticed I would pack at least five or six things I would never wear. It's like, do I really need this? Because what I need more is space. Because you're always going to bring something back. So if you pack to the brim before you start, then you have left yourself with no space for souvenirs or anything that you might want to bring home. And also something that... I have had experience with with travelers over the years is not putting any clothes in your carry-on and then your bag gets lost. So it is always worth it. When I travel, I have a backpack and all of my clothes are in it. So my check bag is just toiletries and like paper and stuff that I don't want to carry and can easily be replaced. Those are probably some of the things that I've realized over the years. And also, I just try and pack as lightly as possible. There you go, everybody. You heard it here first. Pack light, pack stuff in your carry-on, pack some extra chargers. And leave room for souvenirs. What would you say are some of the most fun souvenirs you've seen people buy on tour? When I was in Spain and Valencia, we'd go to the Adro porcelain factory and I would be, I thought it was just like, oh, cool. We get to see how porcelain is made. And then people would leave with these expensive pieces every time. Like, oh man, they really have a hold on people. And it just took like four trips before I bought one. So I got easily (laughs) inducted into being a Yadro fan. And also people would buy paella pans. Like, you're going to fit that in your suitcase? I am impressed. DC is not a big souvenir place. I would, at least something that, like, is from DC. A lot of, like, t-shirts from the Capitol and things like that. Or even though it's only a few days every year, there's cherry blossom year-round. That's probably a very popular choice. When I go places, I think I may have reached my limit on knickknacks. I'm looking at a bunch of them on my desk right now. So I try to go for functional souvenirs. So things I can use or things I can wear. So I've gone through a few cork wallets that I bought in Portugal. I just brought some great crockery in York on vacation with my family that I'm excited to get out of my suitcase and use next time I cook. So I try and find things that are not just going to sit somewhere. And if it's something that I can wear and go out or have on display in my home when somebody comes and they see it, then it just is like an extra memory of the trip. So that's my advice for souvenir shopping is buy something that can be easily displayed. When you see it, it brings back the memory of that trip. That is such a great tip. We talked about this in the earlier podcast, but I went through a knickknack stage and I think they're all packed away in a box because I moved last year. I packed them away, never unpacked them, but I love the pieces of clothing that I buy. I get to wear them out and tell people that this blazer is from Barcelona. Like I just think that's so much cooler. I never thought about kitchen stuff, getting crockery to cook in from, where'd you York. say, from York? That's genius. 
So, Wesley, we like to play a game here on our podcast called Rapid Fire Questions. So I'm hoping you would like to participate. We're going to ask okay. you some questions. And just what, what comes to mind first is the first thing we want you to kind of answer. Okay. So, all right. These are kind of about DC. So I think this would be fun right here. So the first question is, what are the five most photographed spots in DC based on your tours? Lincoln Memorial, White House. Capitol building, changing of the guard at Arlington National Cemetery, and the Washington Monument. Very yes. nice. Number two, I love this one. If DC had a flavor, what would it taste like and why? DC had a flavor. Gosh, that's a very interesting question. If I'm thinking about flavors from DC, then we have something called mumbo sauce here. That's like a sweet and sour barbecue sauce. The restaurant we currently eat our farewell dinner in has it on wings the first time it's been featured on tour and I was really happy to see that but it's really just something you get at like a carryout restaurant so it's a very local flavor that we fight with Chicago about over who had it first so yeah I'll say mumbo sauce is what the flavor would be speaking of food what are five essential snacks that you must munch on while exploring the streets of DC Ooh, well so we're definitely a cupcake city my favorite place is baked and wired in Georgetown over Georgetown cupcakes and a lot of people in the that television show so that's definitely then think to munch on if you're going out in the u street area dc is known for the half smoke which is a half beef half pork hot dog that has chili on it then chili bowl was the first place to really get famous for making them on the u street corridor we have a lot of jumbo slice pizza places so i'll say that's another like where it's like as big as your face piece of pizza. Those are probably the easiest foods that you could walk with. Because DC is really a beautiful mosaic of food from all over the world. I feel like we need to stop recording these episodes at lunchtime because I always get hungry when we talk about food. I was just thinking that. The things I would do for a piece of pizza that's Right? I was like, and then cupcakes. I'll take cupcakes any day. I want the next question. Name one movie and one TV show that someone should watch before their trip to DC. Okay, so television show, it's so hard to pick, but with the most material, I think The West Wing had to win. It's one of the first shows I watched when I moved here. It gives you a very optimistic view of the city and what the people living in it are uh, trying to do. That's why I'd say for television show, uh, movie is a harder question to answer. The one that most people have seen is National Treasure, but that's one that when I'm watching, I'm like, Yes, they filmed here, but they made some like logistical mistakes in terms of how long it takes to get places. They don't spend the whole time here. I'm trying to think of- There's no way Nick Cage could have gotten there that fast. Or, or, no, or it's like they take too long. It's like the Washington Monument's not that far from the archives. Why were you driving so long? I want to see what the name of this movie is. I don't know why. The American President. I think that's a good one to watch that did a lot of filming in D.C. So I'll say that one for any romantic comedy enjoyers. I love it. Well, thank you for playing that fun rapid fire game with us. You're welcome. One of my favorite parts of, of my job is working with the tour managers. I think you have to be a really unique person that has a certain set of skills to be a tour manager to manage all of the actual tasks that you do, but also connect with the people individually. You know, you have 35 people on a coach, but how do you make each, every, each and every traveler feel like they're on their own tour? So what are some of the skills that you think is important for a trial, uh, tour manager to have? Yeah, because I think a lot of people are stunned with 
the amount of information that you know and assume that like that is a big part of the job when really that's probably the smallest part. That's the easiest thing to teach. So I think the big part of the job is one, enjoying being around people, but also making them the star of everything. So it's not when you go on tour with me, it's not the Wesley show where I'm up front all the time making it about me and this place I live. It's me focusing on all the people on the tour to make sure they are feeling like their vacation is being highlighted. So one of the things that I do at our welcome briefing is I always ask what brought somebody on that tour. Why did you book? Of all the 100 plus itineraries we have, why are you on Spotlight on DC? Because that's going to give me an insight into why you booked the vacation, what you're looking forward to. So I make sure we go to those spots that people listed on any tour, that that experience is what that person wanted. So making sure to check in with them while we're at that spot and ask them what they think about it or giving them extra little tidbits just one-on-one. The commentary is not just you talking at the front of the bus. It's one-on-one conversations you're having throughout. And something I say at the end of every tour is what makes the tour is not just me being able to share all these places that I love and am passionate about with the travelers, but also the travelers sharing their stories with me. That's what makes it worth doing is being able to have this human connection. It's not a job for somebody who just loves to travel. It's not a job for somebody who just enjoys learning things. You really have to love people the degree where you can make 35 to 40 new friends 10 times a year and really create that sense and foster that sense of community over a tour that could be as short as five days or it could be as long as three weeks. It was beautiful. Well, thank you. So uh, something I thought would be fun was to test your knowledge of the capital city of the United States of America uh, with a little game of two truths and a lie. So I'm going to read you three statements about some of the sites here in Washington, D.C., and it's going to be up to you to determine which of the statements are true and which one is false. Are you ready? Here we go, Kelsey. Josh, I'm going to beat you. Okay. We're working together. Oh, let's let's get this right together, Josh. So <laughs> the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. has a sculpture of Darth Vader on one of its towers. It's statement number one. Oh, I hope that one's true. That would be amazing. Uh, number two, the White House was originally a pinkish color and was only painted white after the War of 1812. I feel like I've heard that before. If not, then I made that up. And three, the Library of Congress is the largest library in the world. They all have just like an element of like, that can't be true. I know. I would love that right? Darth Vader. to, But see, I feel like it'd be too easy to say that's not true. No, I don't know. Should we should we do some like some math to it? So when did Star Wars come out and when was this building built? You know, like do those timelines match up? I have no idea. I don't know the answer to either of the questions I just asked. So, <laughs> so pink, huh? Like a fuchsia or like a peptal business? I thought it was like a light pink. I could have swore I've heard that. But now if it's a lie, I'm going to feel so. You're going to be like, I heard it. I heard it wasn't it, no. correct when I heard it, but I heard it. And then what was the last one? So the Library of Congress is the largest library in the world. I feel like that's truthful. I feel like that's true. Okay, so we've decided that one is true. Now, what's the other truth? I think this will be easier for us. I'm going to make my guess, and you can change if you want for yours. But I thought I think, we were working together. I know, but now that I want to win. So I think I'm going <laughs> to go with Darth Vader is not true. See, I you want to win, Josh, but I want to keep us 
on the same side because I want to think that the White House was originally like a little bit pink, like not a bright pink, but just a little bit pink. So I'm also going to see the Darth Vader one is not true. Okay, so we'll start with Library of Congress. You're both correct. It is the largest library in the world. They have over 130 million items in the Library of Congress. That doesn't just include manuscripts and books. It includes maps, sheet music, movies get submitted to the Library of Congress every year. And their estimate is they can receive around 20,000 submissions a day of things to go into the library. Wow. They've got three buildings here in Washington, D.C., the oldest and prettiest being the Jefferson Building that was built just after the Civil War. Before that, the library was actually located in the Capitol building. So when it was burned down in 1814 and they lost everything, Thomas Jefferson sold his collection of over 6,000 books to restart the library. So that first building that they build in the 1880s and 90s gets named for him. That's the Jefferson Building the Library of Congress. So that's the one you both knew was true. So now down to the other two. Oh, I'm nervous now. I know. Pinker reader. Pinker reader. I am sad to say that you got it wrong. Uh, a lot of people do hear <gasps> that the White House only got painted after the War of 1812 because it was burned in 1814. So people believe it's covering up scorch marks. But in reality, the white paint is on the sandstone to help it from deteriorating as quickly because sandstone is very porous. So by putting a whitewash on it, it helps protect it from the elements more. So it was never a pink color at all. And it's not to cover up burn marks that people hear. I knew that. Yeah. I meant to say sandstone, not yeah. But people don't realize it wasn't actually called the White House officially until Teddy Roosevelt was president. He's the first one to put it on stationery, calling it the White House. Before that, it was just a nickname. It was just known as the president's home, the president's mansion. But White House is not its official name until the early 1900s. And then that does make that the National Cathedral does have a grotesque of Darth Vader on it. And the reason for that is it took over 80 years to build the National Cathedral. They started building it in the early 1900s and didn't finish it until the late 1980s when H.W. Bush was president. He was there when the cathedral was officially finished. And so as they were finishing it, they had a design competition for children to design some of the grotesques that would go on the cathedral. And one of the winning designs was Darth Vader. So there is a Darth Vader grotesque. It, you can't see it from ground level. You'd have have to have very, very good eyesight to pick it out because it's so high up. This is one of the last parts of the cathedral that was done, but it is there. You got a 33% on that one. That's a really cool spot if you've never been there when visiting DC. So yeah, as you said, 33% on Two Truths and a Lie. I'm going to go tell everybody about Darth Vader, though. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, if you ask kids in the 80s to design something, you've got to be prepared for Darth Vader to potentially be... See, that's what threw me off, though, was that it was just like the 80s. I was thinking just like original creation. Star Wars wasn't around yet. My, my thought process. No, went. yeah. Like, even that's though wrong. George Washington wanted a national prayer space in the beginning, even though he was never president of the city, they didn't actually start working on it until the early 1900s. So it did not come to fruition for a long time. It looks like an old building, but relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Amazing. Well, that was a fun game. Thank you for bringing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for playing. So Wesley, we just want to thank you so much for joining us uh, today and really talking about DC and life of a tour manager. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I love my city and I love sharing it with people and especially people not realizing, as we already talked about, what it's like to live in the city outside of just politicians is what so many people assume, but we are approaching 700,000 people uh, living in this city. So it's definitely a history and a culture of its own. 
worth sharing and uh, making sure that people have an investment in. I think it's just been so great and has made me want to definitely head back down to D.C., especially on this tour. Thank you, Wesley. We love having you on. Thank you guys so much. It was a lot of fun. Uh, It's really nice to get to connect to the rest of the company because a lot of times as a tour manager, you're out on the road. We don't even see other tour managers very frequently. It's always nice to check in and get to chat with other people that are making this greater travel goal and purpose happen. Thank you guys so much for having me. Please subscribe to our podcast and hit us up on our social media sites. Let us know what you want us to unpack in future episodes. And from all of us here at Travel Impact, we want you to not forget to pack your backup chargers. Mm -hmm.